0: I want you to turn this morning in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Yes, I know I've thrown you for a curve by saying Proverbs 2 instead of Proverbs chapter 1. But I do want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been seeing from Proverbs chapter 1 and a number of other passages what i call the warning of wisdom the warning of wisdom and that was the first principle on wisdom that we have been gleaning from our study of this great book the theme the motif of wisdom gaining god's wisdom now you remember if you were here with us that i said that there was a positive and a negative with regard to the warning of wisdom, The positive, of course, is in the sense of verses 20 to 23 of chapter 1, and that is, of course, a call to heed wisdom's message. That's the positive. And then as I preached to you last time, there is also a negative to the warning of wisdom, and that is a negative in the sense of verses 24 to 33 about those who ultimately reject God's wisdom. Oh, it may be that they temporarily ask for deliverance from God, but their heart isn't really in it. They just want to be delivered for their own selfish desires. They ultimately reject the warning of wisdom from God, and He will one day give up on them. And that is a clarion call. It's a warning to heed this matter of wisdom, and we've been looking at that in great detail. Now, for this morning's hour, and no doubt for several times in the future, Solomon wants to give his son a second major teaching about God's wisdom, and that is contained for us in the whole of Proverbs chapter 2. You follow along as I read this chapter. My son, if you will receive my words... And treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And He preserves the way of His godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. To deliver you also from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men, and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. If Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 33, could be called the work of wisdom, then I suppose that we could call this chapter, excuse me, the warning of wisdom, I suppose we could call this chapter the work of wisdom. If we have seen so far the warning of wisdom, then Proverbs chapter 2 tells us about the work of it. That is, in my understanding, the hard work that one requires in order to gain it. And here is what Solomon chooses to describe as the work of wisdom. In all kinds of language that we speak, you hear what is commonly called, and if you're an English buff, you know exactly what I'm referring to, the protesis and the Have You ever heard that term? How many of you have heard that term in your English grammar? Several of you. The protesis and the apodosis. In our own common understanding of that, we might say that that particular way of describing English grammar would be what we would refer to as the cause-effect relationship of a sentence as it is properly understood. The cause and effect relationship of a sentence. That is, if you choose to do something, then something will happen to you. It's what we might call in layman's terms, the if-then scenario. If you do something, whatever that something is, then this will be the result. The if is the protasis. And the then is the hypothesis. The if is the conditional part of the sentence. The then is the result. If you were to choose to do this, whatever this is, then you would receive the following. And that's what we have precisely here in Proverbs chapter 2 regarding wisdom. Solomon says to his son, if you pursue God's wisdom, and that's, of course, a big if. If you pursue God's wisdom, then you will be rewarded with the truest treasure on earth. Well, what is the if of Proverbs chapter 2? Well, we find it in verses 1 to 4. You see it listed at least three times by way of emphasis in verses 1 to 4 of Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words... Look at verse 3, if you cry for discernment, verse 4, if you seek her as silver, and of course, the hypothesis is verse 5, then you will discern the fear of the Lord, and also verse 9, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. So if we were to break down this particular chapter, we would say that the if phrases, the protesis, is contained for us in the first four verses. And then what, which, that which comes after that is the then conclusion. If you do what verses 1 to 4 command you to do, tell you to do, encourage you to do, exhort you to do, then verses 5 and the following aspects of the chapter are the then result. That is why, of course, beloved, that verses 1 to 4 is extremely important. Extremely important. We dare not touch on anything beyond verse 4 if we're not willing to rightly understand what is contained within verses 1 to 4. It is a cause-effect relationship. If you are to pursue the very wisdom of God, if you are to look at that wisdom as though you are the son of Solomon yourself, then you will see the treasure. And that is extremely important. You might ask the question, well, what about verses 12 to 15? That doesn't seem to be a then phrase. Well, that's, a, that's an illustration That's an illustration that Solomon wants to use about real life. And because Solomon knows what he's talking about, he ends verse 11 with the then, and then he gives an illustration of what happens in the negative. And he talks about a man of perversity in his speech. And he goes on to talk about a second illustration, the sexually perverse woman or the adulterer in verses 16 to 19. In other words, verses 1 to 4 is the if, verses 5 to 11 is the then, verses 12 to 15 is an illustration about our words, and verses 16 to 19 is an illustration about our bodies. And then the chapter closes out with a conclusion. Verses 20 to 21, those who choose rightly, and verse 22, those who choose wrongly and reject the wisdom of God. That's the outline of the chapter, and I trust as it has become for me, it will become for you very, very familiar. For this morning's hour, and in the time we have left, I want us to focus our attention on verses 1 to 4, because it is here that I believe we find the key to understanding the work of wisdom. This is that if section, but it is a major if. And if you rightly understand and apply the if of verses 1 to 4, then you have found the key to it all. Everything that flows from a proper understanding of verses 1 to 4 is indeed predicated on verses 1 to 4. Everything that is a result of our lives, whatever we receive is as a direct result of how we respond to verses 1 to 4. Isn't it amazing that the Word of God could come to us in such brevity kind of terms? That God gives to us in such short order the key to it all. And if you would want to understand how you are to respond in your life, then you would learn how to respond to it by understanding verses 1 to 4. I call them the ifs of wisdom's work, the ifs of wisdom's work, and I see three aspects to them as listed in this passage. One, I see the content of the wisdom itself in the work, the content of the wisdom itself in the work. Secondly, the constitution of the man in the work, the constitution of the man in the work. And thirdly, the consuming passion of the man in the work. One, the content. Two, the constitution. And three, the consuming passion. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by the content of the wisdom itself in the work? Well, notice verses 1 to 4. The ifs of wisdom and its work are eight. You see them there? It's all of the things that you find, which we might say are the objects of what Solomon is driving toward. Notice them. He says, first of all, in chapter 2, verse 1, if you will receive my words, that's the first one, words. Secondly, he says, and treasure my commandments, commandments. Thirdly, wisdom, verse 2, understanding, verse 2. Discernment, verse 3. Understanding, verse 3. And hidden treasures at the end of verse 4. In other words, the content of works wisdom is this very idea of these eight things. Words, commandments, wisdom, understanding, discernment, understanding, hidden treasures. All of these are essentially... What we've studied in chapter 1 when we regarded the first several verses of that great chapter, it is none other than the multifaceted nature of God's wisdom. And I love the way God does this. I love the way the Bible is written. The Bible is never written as a boring book. It never uses one aspect to refer to the one thing that it's referring to. It gives a multifaceted nature to it. Do you understand how boring it would be if there was only one word to describe the Word of God? Maybe the word, Word itself. How many times would we gloss over what we were reading if all we ever read was that phrase, the Word of God? Now, it's precious as it is, but God knows that our minds are very prone to wander. And so He gives us a multifaceted understanding of the Word of God. And look how He refers to it. He says words in verse 1 commandments in verse 1, wisdom, verse 2, understanding, discernment, hidden treasures. In other words, it's all a way for God to variously define the richness of the Word of God. If you want to know the work of wisdom, the first thing you have to understand is that there is a very, very specific content to that work. It's the words of God. It's the commandments of God. It's the wisdom of God. It's the understanding of God. It's the discernment of God. It's the very hidden treasures of God. The words of God. The very things that proceed out of His mouth. You remember the idea that in the New Testament when Satan was attempting to trick and tempt Jesus And Jesus ultimately responded with the words of God, and He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, I'm going to live my life as a result of the very words that proceed out of the mouth of God. I'm going to bank my life on the words of God, the very speech of God. And the speech of God that we have before us is the written Word of God. And then he says commandments. This is the idea of the very idea uh, that God is in charge. It's it's the very idea that God is in charge. When He speaks His words, what He says matters. He says, I want you to know that I have a plan for you, and you must obey Me, and I'm going to give you commandments. Commandments. For you to treasure. And then he says, wisdom, the content of wise sayings for daily living. And then he uses that word understanding. And he uses it twice, and he talks about the idea of your mind apprehending the truth of his word. That you have a full and comprehensive understanding of the words of God. And then he uses that great word in verse 3, discernment. That's the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, true and false, better and best. And then I love verse 4. The content of the work of wisdom is to discover the very hidden treasures of God. All of this is referring to the very same thing. The Bible. The Bible. The words of God. The commandments of God. The wisdom of God. The understanding of God. The discernment of God. The very hidden treasures that make up The very content of Scripture. You want to know what the content is of wisdom? It is the Scripture. You want to know what is everything outside of true wisdom? It's everything outside of Scripture. The content of wisdom itself for the work of applying that wisdom is contained for us in this multifaceted display of God's Word. Secondly, what about the Constitution? of the man himself in the work. What about the constitution of the very man himself? You say, what do you mean by that? Well, what is his makeup? What is man's makeup? What is his constitutional makeup? Well, of course, his constitutional makeup is made up of two things, right? The material part of him and the immaterial part of him. The material part, of course, is his physical body. And the immaterial part of man is his non-physical side, his mind And the Scripture uses both when it speaks of our need to ascertain the wisdom of God and to work hard for it. You say, how so? Well, look at these verses again. He describes, does Solomon, the whole person who's involved here in the necessary work of gaining wisdom. Notice what he says, your mind, verse 1. You say, well, he doesn't say mind," but look. If you will receive my words. There's no way to receive words unless you apprehend with your mind, right? So he's obviously implying a mind here. The ability, the capability to receive the words of God. Notice also he says, verse 1, if you treasure, that means your desires. In the New Testament, the word for this is epithumia. It's the idea of a neutral kind of lust. You say lust is neutral? Yes. In the sense that it is a desire. We don't always use that word lust when we're talking positively, but it's the idea of grabbing after something, of desiring it. That's positive. When it hits its negative angle, we usually describe it as lust. Here, he's using that same idea. You have a tremendous treasure, a desire. We have a mind. We have desires. He also says you're hearing. Notice verse 2. Your ear is to be attentive. That's, of course, again, a reference to your mind, but it's, again, that multifaceted idea of understanding the wisdom of God by listening. Not just your physical ear, but the idea of your spiritual ear, your mind apprehending and comprehending the truth. He says, your ear is to be attentive to wisdom. Notice he also says in verse 2, your heart is to be inclined. All of this is talking synonymously about the immaterial makeup of man. It is his heart that's involved. Not that, not that cardia, not that thing inside his body, but his spiritual heart. That which he understands of the wisdom of God, which comes through his mind, his heart, his ear, his desires. And then maybe even more potent, he says in verse 3, if you cry. That's your passions. That's your emotions. That's someone crying out for God. And in this case, he's saying, I'm crying out for discernment. God, I'm I'm crying out with the desire, the ability to discern, to distinguish between right and wrong. This is an incredible thing, isn't it? When's the last time you cried out to God for discernment? You, You were passionate about wanting to know the right thing and wanting to say no to the wrong thing. When was the last time you had your full emotions involved in your decision-making? Passions, he says, verse 3. And by the way, it even involves the physical side of your life. Even the material part of you. Look at verse 4. If you seek her as silver. And if you search As for hidden treasures, you say, well, what's the physical labor there? Well, it's using the analogy of someone who's searching for physical treasure. And so the other is also true. That means that you're physically doing something, i.e. this morning, you've physically come to this place. You've put one foot in the other, in front of the other, and you've said, I'm going to go to the, to the place where God is collectively worshiped by the saints of the Bible Church of Little Rock. I'm physically making a determination. Yes it starts in my mind. Yes it's a part of my heart. I treasure this. I desire this. Yes, all of that's true. But I also want to make a physical display of my heart. I want to in my actions say that I'm searching for the wisdom of God as though I'm searching for the very hidden treasures of his mind. This is the this is the constitution of the work. And it is work. It's the opportunity for you to say if I'm ever going to gain the wisdom of God, I have to work for it. I have to do what it says here. I have to have it in my mind and my desires and my hearing and my heart and my passions. And I'm seeking it even by physically working for it, by coming to the place where God's Word is proclaimed. By opening physically up to my Bible in the mornings or in the midday or in the evenings, I'm physically opening to the Word of God. And my eyes, both physically and spiritually, are reading those words off the page and I'm desiring with all the passion of my heart to come to a place of applying God's wisdom. It's work. It's work. It's hard work. You say, why is it hard? Well, for one... You have everything working against you, including Satan, yourself, and the world. That's pretty hard, isn't it? That's hard work. And you have everything fighting against you in this. You have people who will come to you and say, that really isn't the wisdom of God. That's what Satan did to Eve in the garden. Has God not said, surely God is wrong. Surely God is wrong because you shall not die. Takes a lot of work because Satan's very clever. And he masquerades as an angel of light and he prances around as though he's the revealer of truth and he masquerades in such a way that he makes the truth look like it's a lie and he makes the lie look like it's the truth. It's hard. And it's also hard because of our own sinfulness. We don't want to wake up in the morning. We don't want to read our Bibles. We don't want to be regular and faithful in our church attendance. We don't want to serve other people because we're tired. I have a lot going on in my life. I I have work to do that brings in money so that I can put bread on the table. And I have a lot of responsibilities. And so when I come to the place of the weekends, when I come to the worship of God on Sundays, I'm tired and I have to rejuvenate myself for my work. But how much more... Should we rejuvenate ourselves for the spiritual work by coming to this place? It's a lot of work. And the world will absolutely try to dethrone the place of God's wisdom in your life by pelting us with anything and everything that it can. It's a lot of work. And that's why these verbs here are just heaped one on the other. It's not some kind of boring statement that says, You gotta work for wisdom. And here's the way to do it. And the sentence is there and it's gone and it's out. Well, that's why the Bible continually says, Receive, treasure, make attentive, incline, cry, lift, seek, search. It does it in a multifaceted way because God knows our sinful attitudes and proclivities. He knows that we're going to have to be pelted time and time again. It's going to have to be with both forgetfulness and familiarity that we need to be brought to the place of the sound teaching of the Word of God. And by the way, if you seek her as silver and you search for her as for hidden treasures, that is the the personification of wisdom personified as a woman if you seek her as silver and you seek for her as hidden treasures is a most apt analogy it's a great illustration and it really leads us into that insight that i mentioned the consuming passion of the man and the work he recognizes that it is a relentless pursuit i mean god knows us so well he ought to he created us right He knows us so well, and he knows that all we have to do is recognize our sinful desires to gain wealth. And all he has to do is raise up a negative analogy about how often we're thinking about money, thinking about pursuing riches, and says, look, if you're willing to do that kind of work to pursue that kind of thing, how much more should you be doing that kind of work to pursue the greater riches, you see? This is no lazy accomplishment, the pursuing of true wisdom. And if someone is willing, yea, even desirous at times of even putting their life on the line to pursue the stuff that won't last, the riches of this world, the material goods of this life, how much more then should we be pursuing the true riches that will never fade, that will last forever? This is a relentless pursuit. This is none other than the most diligent, hard-working, perpetual, relentless pursuit that a man could ever pursue. I want to show you this from Job. This is fascinating. Turn to Job 28. I want to show you this remarkable statement of Job. Job 28. The whole chapter is chock full of what Job is wanting to tell us by way of this very same analogy about the wisdom of God versus the pursuing of material riches. Job 28. This is a fascinating account. The Scripture is really filled with the comparison of this analogy about seeking the silver and gold of this life and then turning that around and say, how much more should you be pursuing the true riches? Job 28. Surely, verse 1, there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Surely it's around here somewhere. Surely it's in the world somewhere. Iron is taken from the dust, and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts it into darkness, and to the farthest limit he searches out. What does it mean he puts it into darkness? It means that his light is continually searching out where the goodies are. There's some dark cave somewhere. There's some darkness that no man's ever pursued. But man, because of his desire to pursue gold and silver, he's going to put the searchlight on in every place in the earth to try to find those riches. The darkness is going to be dispelled. And the farthest limit of the earth, he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. That's nothing for man. Because his desire is to pursue it to its nth degree. He's going to find it. He sinks a shaft far from habitation. In other words, it's the farthest place from where somebody lives. And He sinks a shaft down. And it's forgotten by the foot. In other words, people haven't been there for millennia. No foot has been around there. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. In other words, they're working their tails off. They're doing everything they can to find these riches. The earth, from it comes food and underneath it is turned up as fire. In other words, they're working in this construction process. They're doing everything they can to find this treasure. Its rocks are the source of sapphires. There it is. There's the riches. And its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows. Isn't that fascinating? Job is saying, look, birds don't even go there. It's so dark. It's so in." in the bowels of the earth that even no birds show up there, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. They have no resources on their own to be able to find where this goody lies. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. Why? They can't get to it. They need, they need man to be able to go in there as the leader of creation and sort of uh, hewn out all of the problems and issues that is a barrier for the finding of this. No animal could do that, only man. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountain at the base. In other words, he he just turns a mountain inside out. He's trying to find the treasure. He overturns this mountain. He hews out channels through the rocks, and his eye sees anything precious. Well, I'm telling you, this guy's working hard. These guys are working with all of their might. He dams up the streams from flowing. And what is hidden he brings out to the light. But where can wisdom be found? In other words, he moves right then and there from the analogy of what people are pursuing all their life long, money, money, precious jewels, gold, silver, anything that has any kind of value. And then Job says, but where can wisdom be found? See how he turns on the analogy? Where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. In other words, you could go to the depths of the sea and try to find wisdom and wisdom will say from the depths or at least that which purports to be wisdom, it's not here. It's Not here. The deep says, I don't know. I don't know where it is. And the sea says, not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed at its pri- as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Don't you see what Job is doing? God's wisdom is supreme. There's no price tag to it. It's priceless. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is this place of understanding? In other words, if I were to search for it like I I would be searching for the material issues of life, where would I find it? If I was on that same relentless pursuit, where would I gain it? Where is it to be found? Who has it? I must have it. Where is it? I must have this. Verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. You know what? It's beyond us. It's beyond us. It's beyond us. It's not in this earth. It's not in me. It's not in man-made religion. It's not there. It's concealed, Abaddon, and death. With our ears, we've heard a report of it. In other words, even at death, someone says, I I may have heard some faint glimpse of somebody talking about it. Oh, but verse 23, God understands its way. God understands its way. He knows its place. For He looks to the end of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When He imparted weight to the wind, And meted out the waters by measure when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. Can you imagine that? God himself is the one who's the miner. He's the miner. He's the one who has blasted through the mountain. He's the one who's been on the relentless pursuit. It's now talking about God Himself as the analogy of the miner. He's gone through all of the depths of the earth. He's looked all around the universe and He found it. He searched it out. And you know what it is? One verse, verse 28. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. There it is. The fear of the Lord. And to depart from evil is understanding. That's it. That's it, folks. If you want true wisdom, oh, I don't mean the stuff of the earth. I don't mean gold. I don't mean silver. I don't mean cash. I don't mean precious jewels. Do You know that in the comparison of, of God's wisdom with this stuff, that that is so totally unimportant, it doesn't even register on the scale. What are you pursuing? Are are you pursuing the work of wisdom? Are you in a relentless, tireless pursuit to know the fear of the Lord and to depart from evil, to gain understanding? Is that your pursuit? Does it involve the the constitutional makeup of your life, the material aspect of your life, the immaterial aspect? Is it your physical joy and delight to to put one foot in front of the other and to come to the place where God is being worshipped? You know, people give the most flimsy excuses and sometimes even to the preacher about why they're not in church. It's amazing to me. Are you physically involved? What about your service to other people? Are you physically helping them? Do you physically take the Word of God and put it under your eye? Do you hear the Word of God? Do you love it with the immaterial part of you? Your passions, your desires, your eyes, your ears, your heart? Is it your love? Are you like Job? I have seen that it is better to take the Word of God into my mouth than even my necessary food. And I'll tell you, food is pretty important to a lot of people. And good food. And great restaurants. I mean, I've been around people who have just been downright giddy about a particular restaurant. I mean, just absolutely giddy about going to their favorite restaurant. It's, it's almost like they won some kind of restaurant lottery. To say nothing of the lottery itself and how people are just relentlessly pursuing that. They would rather give up food for their baby to spend money on a lottery ticket in order to hit it rich, make it big. But what about the riches of God's Word? What about it? Jeremiah said, my, my food, my spiritual food, I did eat. And it became for me the joy and the delight of my heart. I ate the Word of God. I'll tell you what, this is, this is Jesus knowing the heart of man. He knows man so well. Again, He created him. Listen to Jesus. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin... One out of the ten. This woman, what is she going to do? She lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and she searches carefully until she finds it. One little coin. It'll turn up. Not that big a deal. Oh, yes, it is. It's money. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin which I lost. Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows that we're just going to be pursuing the stuff. Instead of what's said at the end, that's Luke 15. At the end of Luke, where when Jesus shared the word of God from Moses in the very beginning, up until the time of His own coming and His own death, burial, resurrection and just before His ascension. And He talked to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and it says He opened their heart to understand the Scriptures and it says when He wanted to depart from them they didn't want Him to do that and when He finally did they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us? your heart burning for the Word of God? That's your heart? Do you read it? you study it? Did you realize that in Revelation 1-3 it says, Blessed are those who read and who heed the words of this prophecy. Reading and heeding. Well, if there was a message this morning, reading and heeding. Reading and heeding. And you do it with a relentless pursuit, as though you were searching for silver and for treasure and for gold itself, for onyx, stones, sapphires whatever it might be in our own life, whatever it might be in our own day, that we would say is the most precious thing on this earth. Or the most precious thing in this earth. Are you pursuing the preciousness of the Word of God? Because that is the most precious thing we will ever have. It's this. It's this book. you have a copy of this book? If you don't have a copy of this book, I will give you this Bible this morning. That's how important this book is. Do you love the Word of God? Do you search for it with all your heart? Do you love the God of the Word? Do Do you love the God who wrote the Word, who gave you His words, His commandments, His wisdom, His understanding, His discernment? It's like hidden treasures. And you know all that other stuff? It fades. It fades. I have a gold ring on my finger that I've been wearing for over 15 years. It says I'm married to Beth Quinn. I've never taken this ring off. We'll never take it off unless I keep expanding. I look at this gold a lot. And when I look at it, it reminds me of what was said during my vows. And that was this. This is a gold ring. It is a ring which means or implies that it is circular in fashion. Which means there's a never ending love between you and your wife, and that is predicated on a never ending love between yourselves and God. But you know what? Just a ring. Doesn't mean the actual vows, it only supports or symbolizes the vows themselves, right? The gold itself, the ring itself, is nothing. But what's everything is the commitment. That's the everything. The money it's just what we use right it's just cash it's just money it's a means to an end what is everything is my heart do i seek out the wisdom of god with all my heart i seek him with a with a passion because i'm trying to pursue the treasure that never fades just this morning We we saw the quotation of James chapter 1. And what does it say in James 1.25? For the man, the person who looks, and then what does it say? You've memorized it. What's the next word? Intently. He looks intently at the law, the law of liberty. Are you looking intently at the Word of God? Do you love the Word of God? Do you breathe it into your very soul? It was said of a saint of old, that he studied God and His Word and all of the things that Christians have written over the ages about that God and His Word, and he read and he studied so much and he read so many books that people said of him, even his soul was a library of Christ. That's your life? Is that what somebody's going to say about you? I want us to bow our heads this morning. I want you to ask the Lord... to evaluate your life. Is that you? Is that your heart? Is that your passion? Is that what you're crying out for? Oh, Father, could it be that this wisdom of yours is not only available to us, but it comes with a price? Our own work? our own desire, our own diligent, relentless pursuit. But oh, when our hearts are pursuing in the way that You desire, You give us a gusher, a pot at the end of the rainbow. You give it all to us. You give us Jesus Christ in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Bring us this wisdom as we pursue the work of attaining that wisdom. In Christ's name. Amen.